Okay, so we're in a series, meaning we take a topic and we talk about it for several weeks. Actually, this will be week six, final week, talking about emotions. And I thought I'd leave the big one for last, because this is one <laughs> that I know is a struggle for everyone. I guess there may be a small percentage of people that are so laid back that this is never an issue, but probably nobody here uh, are watching. So, fear. Now, you can use other words like worry or anxiety or stress. Uh, they all kind of fit into the same category. The problem is fear robs us, doesn't it? Re it robs us of opportunities. It robs us of, of uh, having dreams and ambitions, and, and it stops us from doing things and produces regrets. It interferes with our relationships, uh, interferes with our parenting. Sometimes we're too strict because we're afraid our kids are going to run wild. Sometimes we're too lenient because we don't want to... Uh, whatever it might be. And so it keeps us up at night at times. And of course, over the last year and a half, the fear has just been rampant in the world. Um, but is fear always bad? And as, as one other emotion we looked at, it's not always bad. Anger's not always bad. But most of the time it is. Um, but on the plus side, the positive side, fear is a byproduct of something that we should celebrate, something that is good, something that God has given to mankind, or humans, uh, something really important, I believe. I don't think any of us would want to give up this to give up fear. So I put it on the outline this way. It's a byproduct of our ability to accumulate knowledge and to project it into the future. Now, fear is usually about the future, even a couple seconds in the future, but in the future. So God's given us this gift that we can accumulate knowledge. And can you imagine what we wouldn't know 50 or 100 years ago? It's just amazing how much knowledge uh, uh, mankind has accumulated. But then we project that into the future. So we build upon that. And so our mankind has theoretically improved our, uh, our well-being, uh, living longer, healthier, all these other things. Uh, it allows us to imagine, it allows us to hope. Uh, the downside, though, is this. It produces what I'm just going to call what-ifs, right? What-ifs. What if this pain I have is something serious? What if I don't have enough money to retire? I read a lot of articles about retirement, and how much money you need, and it's millions of dollars, and I don't have millions of dollars. So what if, you know? What if my kids, you know, go crazy when they grow up? Uh, what if? I mean, the, what ifs are endless. Some what ifs now is what's going to happen to the church <laughs> uh, because of uh, results of COVID. So the problem with what ifs is, is it's often or almost always self-centered, self-focused, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not too worried about what your kids are going to do. <laughs> I'm worried about what my kids are going to do. You know, I pray for your health too, but I'm more concerned about my health, right? So these what-ifs become self-centered. That always becomes an issue. <clears throat> In this series, we're talking about emotions, and we're saying we don't want these emotions to control us. So how to say no to these emotions that control us. Today is a biggie. How do you say no to this fear that kind of paralyzes you? It affects our inside our moods, which reflects on our outside, which is our mouths, doesn't it? 
And so that's what gets us into trouble. Nobody wants fear to control them, I don't believe. So we've been using this passage of Jesus. He explains this to us, how important it is to guard, the scripture says, guard your heart or guard your mind. Anything you eat passes through the stomach, goes out into the sewer. We experience this every day, bodily function. But the words you speak come from the inside. They come from the heart. That's what defiles you. That's what gets you into trouble, trouble with other people and trouble with God. And then he gives us a list in case we need some more explanation. He says, from the heart comes evil thoughts. So we would say from the mind. Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery. It all starts in here. Sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander, greed, wickedness, envy, pride, foolishness. And that's not an all-inclusive list. So that's the issue. We've got to deal with these thoughts Control these thoughts, which ultimately control our emotions. <clears throat> and this is going to be a biggie when we talk about fear. He said, these are the things that get us into trouble. These are the things that defile us. Eating with unwashed hands, superficial exterior things aren't the big issue. Now, we're going to look at what Jesus tells us about fear. Does Jesus talk about fear? He talks about fear a lot. So evidently, he gave us a lot of good insight into how to deal with fear, Right? You can sum up what Jesus says about fear in two words, and I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Here's what Jesus said. Stop it. Don't do it. That's basically what Jesus says about fear. Now, how helpful is that? If we could stop it, we would have stopped it a long time ago, right? So how do you, quote, unquote, stop it? So today's teaching will be a little bit different. We're going to kind of cover a span of Jesus' life or Jesus' teaching. And he's going to take his disciples on a couple I'm going to call field trips. And Jesus never did anything random or haphazard. He's always got a purpose. And I think it'll help us as we see the purpose from one event to the other. So we're going to, these are going to be Matthew's accounts, mostly. And Matthew was there. <laughs> he was one of the disciples. And so we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter... 8, I believe? Yes, Matthew chapter 8. So pretty much clear, close to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples did what? We call ourselves Jesus followers. <laughs> All right, we think, kind of think of that more um, theoretically or theologically, but it means literally too, right? And so, for example, <laughs> come to church, worship together as believers. So Jesus got in the boat. So if you're a Jesus follower, what do you do? You get into the boat. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake. They're on the Sea of Galilee or Lake of Tiberias um, with waves breaking into the boat. Now, I don't know how you've been on lakes. Most lakes don't have <laughs> waves crashing into boats. But the Sea of Galilee does, and we'll explain that in a minute. While this is going on, Jesus is in the boat sleeping. Pretty significant. Now, most of you know a couple years ago we got to go to Israel. So here's a picture from our trip. We're in the boat out in the middle of this lake or this sea. So I looked up the statistics. I thought it was fascinating. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and only seven miles across. So you can never be more than three and a half miles from shore, correct? 
my math is good. Now, the fascinating thing about the Sea of Galilee is that it's 660 feet below sea level. There aren't many lakes below sea level, so it, it has some different weather conditions that affect it. The other thing that's significant, it's 150 feet deep. Most lakes that are only 7 feet wide aren't going to be anywhere near 150 feet deep. And so they tell us that the waves can be as much as 20 feet on a lake. I mean, that's just amazing to me. So, these little boats on the lake can be exposed to 20-foot waves. And that seems to be the case here. So, some of the disciples are just fishermen, but, you know, this is dangerous stuff. So, the disciples went and woke him up. Now, they're shouting. Why do you have to shout? Is it because they're afraid? Well, they are afraid, but that's not why they shouted. Storms are noisy, aren't they? <laughs> And so the wind and the waves would be making all kinds of noise, and so you have to shout to be heard. So Jesus is asleep. You say, Lord, they're waking him up. Maybe they're shaking him. He said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. We're going to die. Don't you care what's happening to us? Now, of course, he's in the boat too. And the same thing's going to happen to him that happens to them. But that's their reaction. Uh, extreme fear. Uh, fear of death. Dying. Now, Okay, Jesus is going to be really sympathetic to these guys, right? Oh, yeah, this is a terrible storm. I'm glad you woke me up. No. No. Jesus got, I want to teach him something about fear. And so he says, why are you afraid? Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, duh, that's the dumbest question I ever heard, right? Why am I afraid? The boat's about filling up with water. We're about to, you know... Uh, turn over or, or, or sink, and we're all going to die. Um, and then he insults them, basically insults them. He said, you, you guys get just a little baby faith. That's why you're so afraid. Now, I never noticed this before. We've got a preacher here, I don't know. I'll read scripture, it's amazing. I've read it 50 times and never noticed something before. He hadn't gotten up yet. So he's still laying down, maybe leaning on his shoulder and says, why are you guys afraid? You got so little faith. Then he gets up. Then he got up and rebuked the waves, winds and the waves, and suddenly there was great calm. So what's Jesus' purpose? What's the gospel writer's purpose of transmitting this story to us? Is it to teach us that Jesus is in control of weather? And you might even say, well, it really wasn't a miracle. It storm suddenly started, and then it suddenly stopped. Well, if nothing else is a miracle of timing, right? As soon as Jesus said it. Now, I believe that they, the waves, the weather abated. But if you want to have struggle with the idea of miracles, maybe you want to think about it that way. But Jesus didn't panic, did he? Life and death situation, Jesus didn't panic. In fact, Jesus never panicked. Did he? I mean, he's God. God never panics. Consequently, as a Jesus follower, guess what? <laughs> we should never panic either. But the purpose of the story, the purpose of this field trip is not to teach us a miracle. Jesus did all kinds of miracles. We're going to look at a couple more. But the purpose was to teach them and us about fear. So my 
when we came back from Israel over two years ago, my wife put a new screensaver on her computer. We had to share a computer, so I have a screensaver. She has one. Mine kind of looks like the Sea of Galilee. Here's hers, and uh, she loves this picture. <coughs> uh, show us the picture, please. There it is. This is her screensaver. That's perfect. It shows the boats aren't very big, and they're all kind of crowded in there. Disciples fit in the boat, and Jesus stood up and calmed the storm. Now, that's Jesus' reaction to their fear. What is the disciples' reaction to Jesus? All right? And here's where the lesson comes in for them and for us. Uh, the men were amazed. I guess I would be too, right? This guy's controlling the wind and waves. They were amazed and asked. Now, here's the important part. Here's the question all of us need to figure out the answer to. What kind of man is this? Who is this guy? What kind of being, human, person is this? Is he just a magician <laughs> or something more? Was he truly God? Why? Because even the winds and the waves obey him. That's, that's unique. Now, <clears throat> Jesus calmed their storm. Didn't you think he should be able to calm your storm and my storm? I don't know about you, but I have storms in my life. Not waves crashing into my boat, but, you know, pretty serious issues come up. And Jesus said, okay, don't need to be afraid. Whatever storm you're going through, I've got this. I understand. Um, don't have baby faith. Now, m well, Mark also records this event, Peter's event. Of course, Peter was there. He's, he's writing Peter's event. And uh, where it says the men were amazed, let me literally tell you what Mark wrote or Peter dictated to him. Here it is from Mark chapter 4. And they feared a great fear. Use that same word twice. Right? This is from a translation I've used before. It's the disciples' literal New Testament. It's on uh, Bible Gateway like lots of other ones. And uh, So this is literally what he wrote. This is what it literally says. They feared a great fear or they feared a greater fear. So they feared the storm. Jesus calmed the storm. Now they had a greater fear. Fear. The second fear was greater than the first fear. And this is one of the keys for us as we deal with fear. So on the outline, it's going to say this. For a moment, not permanently, not forever, but for a moment, there the disciples' confidence in Jesus overwhelmed their fear of the storm. So in this case, they will say, Fear, you're not going to control us, or not fear of nature. <laughs> There's a more powerful fear, if you will, that's going to control us. And so then we read about he's picked this inner circle, this, we call them apostles, they're 12 disciples. This inner circle, these guys are going to be his closest buds uh, for the next couple of years. Now, it's fascinating, most of the time we don't read this. After he, he's picked them, he explains to them what to look forward to. I think this is going to be exciting, right? All right, this is in Matthew chapter 10, a few chapters over. Okay, 
All right, come here, guys. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now, I, we, I've never had sheep, but I'm picturing what happens to sheep when wolves get there. Now, all I can see is disaster, bloodshed, uh, death when wolves have access to sheep. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking, Jesus, this is the way you're going to start off encouraging your disciples, saying, okay, you're going to be like sheep among wolves. He says, be shrewd, be, be wise, be smart, but be harmless, just like sheep. <clears throat> Are we supposed to be afraid? Sounds pretty scary. No, let's keep reading. But beware, all right? For you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogue. Oh, that doesn't sound very good. That sounds very, pretty negative to me. Uh, trial is one thing, but then being flogged, uh, that seems pretty scary. So I need to be afraid. Let's keep reading. <laughs> he goes on. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. The only reason you're going to be arrested, the only reason you're going to be on trial is because you believe in me, that you're serving me, you're, you're following me. You're not going to do anything, quote, unquote, wrong. Okay. It all sounds pretty scary to me, but, big but here. But this will be your opportunity. Ah, opportunities are good things, right? This will be an opportunity to tell the rulers, not just common folk, but even the rulers and other unbelievers about me, okay? So don't fear these things, but be happy or rejoice in the fact you have the opportunity to tell people about me, the good news of Jesus Christ, we would say. And skipping down a few verses, he literally says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what? Those who want to kill your body. Ah, that's pretty scary. Don't be afraid of that. Why? Because they can't touch your soul. They can't touch the real who you are. See, life is more about what meets the eye. We're kind of trapped in this physical world. No, life's much more than that. We have a soul that's going to last for eternity. And he says, okay, so this life is temporary. Don't let things that can destroy your life upset you. Be more concerned about this soul that lasts for eternity. So he describes it this way. Fear only God. Why? Because he can destroy both body and soul in hell. <clears throat> so have fear, just don't have the wrong fear. Don't fear people that can kill your body. Fear the one that can control your eternal destiny. And so he gives some illustrations, some examples to help them understand this, help us understand. What's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, just, just pennies, okay? Doesn't cost much. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Now, I don't know about you, but I see flocks of birds. There's birds all over the place. I live in the woods. We have birds. We saw some woodpeckers the other day. That was cool, big woodpeckers. Um, not, nothing can happen to any of these birds all over the world without the father knowing about it. That's just mind-boggling. It's amazing that he has that capability. If that's not amazing enough, then he gives an even more amazing illustration to me anyway. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Most of you have probably heard this 
part before, right? So God keeps a running total of your hairs and my hairs. You know, seven billion people in the world. He keeps track of the hairs on the heads of all those people. What, what is he trying to tell us? Well, Amplified Version tells us. He's sovereign. That means he's all-powerful. He's got the power to do anything and everything. And he has complete knowledge. So he has complete power and he has complete knowledge. So that's how he can know about every bird. That's how he can know about every hair. God is a personal God. How much personal can you get than knowing every hair on your head? That's pretty personal. So consequently, since God is sovereign, God has complete knowledge, don't be afraid. Now that makes sense to me, right? If God's got complete power and complete knowledge, then I don't need to be afraid. See, fear comes when we don't believe that, right? And just to give us more proof, he says, you are more valuable than a whole flock of birds or a whole head of hair, right? How valuable are you? Well, value is determined by what somebody's willing to pay, right? And so what was God willing to pay for you? The most expensive thing he had. The sacrifice, one and only son. I've got three sons. And I would give away everything I have before I would sacrifice any of them. Right? And so would you, the parents. So, that's how much value God gives to you. He knows you intimately. He cares about you deeply. And he hopes that you will trust him. So then, then uh, skipping forward a little bit, Jesus is out teaching one day, and it gets late, and there's thousands of people there, and everybody's getting hungry, and the disciples said, hey, we've got to send these guys home. It's time for dinner, and everybody's hungry. And Jesus said, ah, i got a better idea. <laughs> you feed them. And the disciples are going, talk about fear. Uh, we, there's not even enough food around here to feed them. Even if we had the money, we don't have the money to feed them. What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus said, okay, relax. What do you have? And of course, most of you know the story. This little boy had a lunch, and he shared it, and Jesus multiplied it thousands of times over. Everybody was filled, and there was leftovers even. <laughs> I'm a person who loves leftovers, but I don't know about you. So it was leftovers. <clears throat> and so immediately after this is over, Jesus does something. Jesus insists that his disciples get back into the boat and cross the other side of the lake while uh, he sends the people home. Now, this word insist means forced. He forced them to get into the boat. Now, I like to preacher types like to think, well, why? why? Well, you know, I don't know why you would think. One thought I had was, well, they would kind of enjoy this popularity, right? Thousands of people think, hey, you guys fed us. That's great. You know, you people are great. The other thought I had was, wait a minute, the last time they got in a boat didn't turn out too well. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but Jesus insisted that they get into the boat. He said, I'm not going with you this time. <clears throat> You're going on your own which is important because eventually he left us and went to heaven, right? Left them. So then what happens? Jesus sends the people home. 
dismisses all the people, say, okay, go on home, next verse. <clears throat> and what did Jesus do? Well, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Jesus did this often. Had to reconnect or, or re-energize re, uh, uh, through, through uh, connection with his Father. So he went up the hills to pray. Now, I'm assuming a part of what he's praying for is for his disciples because even now he's praying for you and I. And it got dark, and he's there for hours, and eventually it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And what happens then? Well, the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're rowing all night long, and they can't get to the shore, which is fascinating itself. Seven miles, right? Most it could be is seven miles. Meanwhile, disciples, Scripture says they're in trouble. <laughs> they're in trouble. They're rowing and rowing and rowing, and they're not going anywhere, right? How's that possible? Well, the wind was against them. So if they're trying to go across this way, the wind's blowing this way. So as fast as they're rowing, the wind's blowing them back. So we're looking at, what, nine hours maybe of, of rowing, and they're still not to the shore. So that's trouble, right? They were fighting, again, heavy waves on this lake, mind-boggling. So the Scripture says it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now, if you're watching, you're not a believer. One of the reasons you're not a believer is because you can't believe this stuff, right? Yeah, people can't walk on water. People can't multiply food, whatever. Well, we're going to talk about what really is hard to believe. One of my pet peeves is people that believe in Jesus, that he was resurrected from the dead, and then have trouble believing that he walked on water. <laughs> uh, come on, let's... Folks, let's, let's get the, the projection, uh, whatever that word is, the relate, uh, ratio between these miracles straightened out. If you can die and come back to life, anything else is, I think, down here. That's kind of up here, right? So, and the reason we believe this stuff is because there is eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness. The disciples and other people, they saw Jesus die, was resurrected. They saw him walk on water whatever. But, you know, there's lots of things in the Bible you can, we can discuss, you know, how old the earth is and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting to discuss how many angels are on a pin of a needle. All that kind of stuff is interesting to discuss, but this is what's really important. Who is this man? Who was this man? Now, I came across an interesting term. Some of you literary types, like my sister may know this term. It's called criteria of embarrassment. And this is not a religious thing. This is a, this is a, a, a literary thing. And what it basically says is this. Nobody writes something about themselves that is embarrassing unless what? Unless it's true. <laughs> right? And most of the time, they're still not going to write it. But if they write it, you can be pretty sure it's true because nobody likes to be embarrassed. Right? They're not going to invent embarrassing stories. Think about it that way. And so the fascinating thing is when we read the Scripture is how ordinary, how normal the disciples seem to be, right? Because they wrote embarrassing things about themselves. Why would they do that? Because it happened. And it's even more fascinating because the time this, these writings are circulating in the early church, the disciples are there. And people can ask him, but did you really have that little faith in that? Say, yeah, 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 we, we, we didn't have that much faith. 
So that's another reason we believe what Scripture teaches. So, disciples are, have learned not to fear now, right? They learned their lesson back there in that storm. No, not quite. So, Jesus comes walking the water. What's their reaction? They saw him walking the water. They were terrified, amping up, a, amping up fear. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. I don't know what other explanation you get. I, I don't know. Maybe it looked like a ghost. And Jesus said, what's Jesus' response? Pretty much the same <laughs> as before. Spoke to them at once, said, don't be afraid. Stop it. Don't be, shouldn't be doing this. You can be, take courage, not be afraid. Why? I am here. I, your Lord, your Savior, God, the Messiah, I am here. I am sovereign. I have all knowledge. What do you have to be afraid of? And I, and I thought of this little rhyme thing. And as I was saying to my wife, I had this thought, where does this come from? So let me share it with you first. Have no fear. I am here. I said, didn't there some superhero or something that said that? My wife remembered. I didn't remember who it was. Everybody remember Underdog? How many people remember Underdog? All right, got some hands. What did he used to say when he showed up? Underdog is here. Oh boy, lots of people watched Underdog. <laughs> All right, it's a lot better than Underdog, right? Have no fear. Jesus is here. So whatever storm you're going through, whatever storm I'm going through, he says, don't fear. Logical reason is because I, sovereign, am here. So, but again, for them, for a moment, their confidence in Jesus overwhelmed their fear, right? <clears throat> Next slide. So for, for, for a little bit, for a while, their confidence in Jesus overrode. But did it stick? Did they learn the lesson at this point? Second field trip. No, it didn't. Now, that's encouraging to me because I've kind of gone through a couple of these field trips and I still have fear at time. So we can fast forward to the last week of Jesus' life. They come into Jerusalem Everybody's shouting. Disciples are thinking, it's going to finally happen. We're going to set this earthly kingdom. We're going to be, you know, famous and powerful, all etc. By Thursday night, we call the Last Supper. They're celebrating the Passover, and Jesus tells them all this stuff, and it's confusing to them. He says he's going to die, but then he's going to come back to life, and he's told them this before, but wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't kill the Messiah. And then he's arrested. And the disciples had courage, right? They defended Jesus. Now they all ran away. And Peter, he had at least enough courage to hang around, but then some servant girl accuses him of being a Jesus follower, and not once, not twice, but three times. He's so afraid, he denies even knowing Jesus. And then Jesus is whipped, and he's crucified, and he dies, and all hope is gone. There's... We were mistaken. Messiah can't be killed. But then three days later, the tomb is empty. And for us, we celebrate that on Easter. Actually, we celebrate it every Sunday, but mostly on Easter, this resurrection of Jesus. But for them, for the disciples, this was everything. All hope was gone. 
on Friday. Now it's empty tomb. Game on. They got it. They understood. There's no need to fear Jesus is here. He's risen. He's alive. So don't be afraid is what changed the world, didn't it? Because the disciples went out and did what Jesus said. I love this story, especially because it comes out of secular writings that support Scripture. And so, <clears throat> Roman doctors were not allowed to touch bodies, dead bodies. And they wanted to learn more about medicine, about, about physiology. So, when, in, when the, especially Christians, were in the arenas and being torn apart by animals or by gladiators, once they were finished, they would rush out there, and if they could find a body that wasn't dead, they could examine it. And so we get this recording or this uh, writing from this one Roman doctor, and he said this, For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witnessed in them every day. This fearlessness was common to, this was second century, common to second century Christians. So you and I worship living, sovereign God. And Peter, who, as we said, embarrassed himself enough, became a leader in the early church, something he wrote is an invitation to you and I as we deal with this difficult emotion of fear. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. <clears throat> Casting all your cares. Cares are what? Anxieties, worries, concerns, once and for all. Cast them where? Cast them on Him. Cast them on Jesus. Don't carry them. Don't hold on to them. Get rid of them. Why? Because He cares about you. He cares deeply about you. With deepest affection, He watches over you very Remember Jesus' prediction? You're going to be like sheep among wolves. You're going to be tried and you're going to be beaten. Did that actually happen? Yeah. All that stuff actually happened. Most of the disciples other than John was, were martyred, best we can tell. Why? Because they said something terrible? No, just because they believed that this Jesus guy was actually the Messiah and rose from the dead. And so they were able to say, fear, you're not going to control me. You're not going to be the boss of me. I have a boss, and he's Jesus. And I have no need to fear because he's sovereign. So he and Jesus invites you to cast your cares on him. I'd like to give you a homework assignment. Hopefully you'll follow through and do this. I think it'll be very helpful to you. What's your biggest fear? What's your big, what do you worry about the most? Okay? I know what mine is. And what would it look like for you to take Peter's advice and cast it all on Jesus and leave it there? Let me pray with you. Father God, ah, Jesus' words are a little tough to take. Just stop it. <laughs> wow, easier said than done. But if we get the right perspective, we get the right attitude, if we really truly believe that that tomb was empty and you're the risen Lord and you're sovereign, what do we need to fear?
So God, as we deal with the trouble and anxieties in our own lives, we pray that we would have that perspective, that your spirit would instill us with courage no matter what we're facing. I mean, mindful of the story of Jacob. I mean, excuse me, Joseph. Man, his life was tough. Went from bad to worse. But you had a plan. And through all that negative stuff that happened to him, he wound up in a place where he's able to save his family from starvation, save your promised people, the Jewish nation, from starvation. Um, plus, among all the Egyptians. So God, as we look at our lives, help us to understand and to see that you have a plan and you have a purpose and there's something good that will come even from the troubles. We pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower. Maybe you're wrestling with the miracle thing. Either Jesus is alive or he isn't. If he's not, this is all a waste of time. But hundreds, if not thousands of people testified the fact that it's true. The tomb was empty. And they saw Jesus walking around and he conquered death. He conquered death for you and I. And by faith, we can believe and have the most important fear, fear of you, God, that will get us into eternity. So I pray that you would take that step, step across that line. You would accept that gift. It's a gift. The most expensive gift to God, but a grace gift to you and I. Thank you, Jesus. You're willing to do what we couldn't do, to suffer and die and take our place, to pay our sin debt. We thank you that you offer to us free if we must just believe. And Father God, continue to be with us. You promise to be with us. And with, your, with us, we need not be afraid. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of worship. Take your word and apply it to our hearts. Change us to more like Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.